0: We'll dive in, all right? Jesus, you are so good, and this morning, Father, we need you. We need you. We need you in our lives. We need you in our lives when when things get crazy. We need you in our lives when things get difficult. We need you in our lives, Lord, just to hold it all together. Lord, we are nothing. We are nothing without you. And the songs that we even sang this morning just remind me of that. You're the one that turns graves into gardens. You're the one that turns seas into highways. When things feel difficult, when things feel impossible for us, they are more than possible for you. And so we need you, God, today, the the possible God, the God that says, this can happen, we can do this. Lord, we need you. Um, So God, we, we lean into this presence. We lean into your spirit that's present with us here today. Lord, we invite you into our lives to open up the word in new ways today. Father, would you, um, would you teach us, would you speak to us, would you heal us, would you comfort us, would you put us back together? Uh, Lord, we love you and we need you. We pray all this in your name. Everybody said. All right, so over the last few weeks, we've been landing the plane in this Roman series that we've been in for a handful of months, and we've been looking at this la- this, this kind of, this, this question in the last few weeks. It's this, what does the Christian life look like? Right? We've been asking this question, what does the Christian life look like? And that's a good question. Because some of us may have been in church for years and years and years and years, we've been following, you know, Jesus since you know the, our Sunday school teacher were putting things up on the flannel board. You guys remember those, right? Yeah, that's like, yeah, I remember that. I remember those Moses stories and Noah stories. I remember the, the ark and all that. We've been following Jesus for a really long time. Some of us maybe we're new to this whole Jesus thing, but the reality is, I bet most of us we've got this question. We've asked this question, whether you've been following Jesus for twenty years, fifty years, or twenty minutes. We're all trying to figure this piece out. What does the Christian life look like? And what we've been talking about over the last few weeks is that it looks different, and it's meant to look different. The Christian life is meant to sound different. It's meant to feel different to people around us because the with God life, right, that we talk about here at Adventure, life with God, not without God, life with him, not apart from him, this with God life is different. And it all goes back to something that we've talked about in here for a really long time, and that's the fact that we have two deals on the table. Right? Because of Jesus, there are two deals on the table for us, and we got to pick one deal, right? You can't live in the middle. you got to choose one, right? So we can choose to live the without God life. We can say, I want to go through my life without God present in my life, right? And we make ourselves, what happens in, the, in that space is we make ourselves Lord of our own lives. We're in charge Of our own lives. And some of us, we like the sound of that. That sounds good. I like being in charge of my own life. I like being in control of my own life. But here's where we run into trouble in this deal the without God life is that if you want to be the Lord of your life, it also means you have to be the Savior of your own life. And without God, that's impossible. Without getting Jesus into the mix, being the Savior of your own life is impossible. We do not have the ability to save ourselves from things like sin and death, which is why God sent Jesus. Right? So the other deal on the table, this is the without God life where I'm in charge, but I can't save myself from sin and death. Right? This, other, this other deal on the table is the with God life. And the with God life, in the with God life, Jesus steps in as Savior. Like we sang this morning, he steps in, he takes all of that punishment onto himself. He takes all of that curse onto himself. He takes all of the sin, past, present, and future, onto himself, and he pays for that. Jesus is the Savior, and the way that that happens, the way we step into the with God life where Jesus is our Savior is through faith. We talked about that at the very beginning of Romans, that it's faith. It's you and I believing, right, believing that Jesus is life, that his death and that his resurrection were exactly what were needed. It's exactly what was needed to save us. It was, it was enough. We don't need anything other than Jesus to save us from the power of sin and death. But here in this deal, right, in the With God Life, when we choose this deal, not only is Jesus Savior, he's also Lord. And you can't have it one, you can't have it one way or the other. It's like, well, I want Jesus to be my Savior, but I also want to be in charge of my own life. It doesn't work that way. That's not how it works. When we step into the with God life, Jesus is Lord and Savior. He is both. He's the Savior of our lives, but he's the Lord of our lives. He's in charge. We live for Jesus. We live because of Jesus. Jesus' cause is our cause. And through this Holy Spirit renovation and restoration, right, his ways, the way that Jesus lived, Jesus' priorities, the things that he was all about, they become our ways. Right, Our lives begin to look like Jesus's life. See, Jesus... The way we describe Jesus is Jesus was God with skin on, right? He was God that we could see, hear, feel, and touch. He was 100% God, but he was also 100% us. And so the same thing is true about us, right? This is, this is the deal. The, the presence of God lives in us. The presence of God moves into us. We are these representatives. Like we said a couple weeks ago, you and I, we were created, we exist to be an incarnation, which means in the flesh, living and breathing expression, Of the character and nature of God. See, we can't be just like Jesus because we've sinned, right? Because we're fallen, because we're broken. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was was perfect. He was 100% God and 100% us. We're 100% us, right? But this is the cool part about being 100% us means that the presence of God, when we say yes to Jesus, moves into our lives and we get to become this living, breathing expression of the character and nature of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. What that means is this. Your life and my life we are meant to broadcast the gospel. Our lives are meant to broadcast the gospel. The gospel changes everything about everything. And like we said last week, we don't live differently. The Christian life is not something that we live differently in order to get some kind of reward from God. We live differently because of Jesus. We've already we already have it. Where do you have the reward? I think it's important for us to know this. You're not living for a blessing. The Christian life is not a performance-based life. It's not. Everything else in our world and everything else in our lives feels really performance-based. Like we get, you get your end-of-year evaluation with your boss, or you sit down every now and then to do kind of those like evaluations on your life, how's your perform, performance review, those kinds of things. The Christian life, there's not, it's not a performance review. You don't get a performance review. It's not a performance-based life. You already live from this blessing. You, you don't live for it. You live from the place of already being blessed in and through the gospel of Jesus that changes everything about everything, past, present, and future. So the with God life, it looks different. And the reason that it looks different is that you and I, we live from and out of this relationship with God. And this relationship with God only happens through the blessing of grace and mercy that we find in the gospel of Jesus. And here's what changes. Here's what changes in the with God life. Our relationship with ourselves It changes our relationship with ourselves. It's a healed relationship with ourselves because we have a healed relationship with God. We are no longer conformed or being deformed by the world, but we're being transformed into His image. We're being renewed in our hearts and in our minds. So we have a healed view of ourselves. No one can look at us and say that we're worthless. No one can look at us and say that you don't matter. No one can look at you and say you don't count. Because here's how much you're worth. You're worth the life of God's son. And he calls you his child when you choose to accept Jesus. So everything changes in the with God life. Why? Because you're God's son. You're God's daughter. That's why. How we serve the church changes. Because we are empowered and we are equipped and we are fueled by the Holy Spirit, we are gifted supernaturally by the Holy Spirit to serve this body and to serve others. How we respond to our enemies changes. We love our enemies and we pray for the people that persecute us. That's what we read in Romans. That we feed our enemies when they're hungry and we give them something to drink when they're thirsty. Who does that? We do. It changes how we engage our culture and the world around us. How we submit to governing authorities. Where we draw the line, when we push back. It it changes how we care for one another, how we protect and promote unity in our Christian communities, in the church, how we do that with one another. And and that leads us to really what we're going to impact today, right? And that's this it changes the very mission of our lives, the purpose of our lives. Have you ever asked yourself this question what is the mission of my life? Like, what's my aim? What's my goal? What's the mission? What am I after? What am I doing? Like, what, what is my life's mission? What is the mission of my life? I mean, if your life had a mission statement, right? If you had a mission statement, you know, over your, I don't know, bedroom door. You had a mission statement over your garage door. Every time you, you drove out of your garage, it's like, you know, whatever football team or basketball team, they always got something that they, like, smack, Like kind like, of like Notre Dame play like a champion today. Like, they hit that thing. Every, like, what would be your mission statement? That every day as you're leaving your house to go to work, to go to school, to go run errands, whatever it is you're doing, you smack that thing like, yes, this is my mission. This is who I am. What would your mission statement? What would your mission statement say? Roll Tide, right on. That's good. That works. Now, just to help us think about this this statement, right? Here's how the word mission is defined. The word mission is defined as an important assignment, a strongly felt aim, an ambition, or a calling. That's how the dictionary defines this word mission. So, as you're thinking about your mission statement, what is this? What is the important assignment that's been given to you in your life? What is this strongly felt like? aim, your goal? What is your ambition? What are you after? What are you called to? And here's, here's why this question really matters as it, when it comes to, to living this, this with God life. Whatever you and I claim as the mission of our lives will shape and influence our relationships, our connection with people around us. The mission of your life will shape and will influence the way you connect with people around you. It will shape and influence your motivation. Your motivation is what keeps you going. What gets you out of bed in the morning what keeps you moving, what's your motivation? It'll shape and influence that, and ultimately it will shape our ambitions, our goals, our aim, where we're headed, what we're after. So let me just, let me just give you some examples, okay? And this is, uh, this. please hear me, I'm, I'm speaking mostly to myself. The mission, if your mission in life, if your mission in your life is your kids, right? Think about how this works, right? Our relationships, if, the mission in, if our mission in our life is our kids, I know a lot of us, we got kids in the room, our relationships get shaped around our kids, right? We become friends with and we interact with who? The other parents of kids that may are on the same team that our kids are on, right? Or, or maybe our interactions are with our kids' coaches or their teachers or their troop leaders. That's kind of who we interact with. That's kind of who we connect with. Our motivations, our motivations get wrapped up in the success of our kids, Our time, our money, our presence, all of that stuff, the motivation, right, all of that stuff gets invested in lessons, in training, in coaching, in activities, in games, in plays, in concerts, and everything else that our kids are into. Why? Because our ambition, as I was speaking to myself, my ambition is for my kids to be the best at everything that they do, right? Can I get an amen, anybody else feel that way? Yeah, you want that. Here's the thing, I looked this up this week, I looked this up this week, um, so both of my boys, my, my youngest, Cash, he, he likes to consider himself to be a soccer player, but he's more of a swimmer, right, he's really good at swimming, he's like his dad, he's pretty buoyant, right, we float, um, so he's a pretty good swimmer, so he started swimming last summer, it was great, he was super into it, we're like, hey, how do we get this kid into like, you know, he swam on this like super fun, hey, we're just in it, participation trophy kind of thing, which drives me nuts, um, kind of swim team. And it's like, hey, how do we get him onto, like, the, like, the Olympic prep team? Because, like, he won one race, and I'm already going, Michael Phelps, right? Coming for you, Michael Phelps. You know, meanwhile, Cash is sitting over there eating oatmeal cream pie, right? It's like, coming for you, Michael Phelps. Jack, my oldest, super into basketball, and he's left-handed, right? Which, if you know anything about basketball, being left, every coach that ever has coached him goes, he's left-handed. I'm like, I know, call scouts right now, right? Call him up. Call him up, come see what this nine-year-old kid can do, right? Just check him out. So I, have, I'm, I'm, I am the worst, and I'm, I'm working on this, and I need you to pray for me, okay? I'm the worst bleacher parent there is. Uh, coaches hate me. And I think it's because I was a coach. Like, I coached soccer for a really long time, and so I can't not talk. And so I think what I'm gonna have to do going forward is, like, sit in, like, the back, like, corner of the gym by myself. Like, nobody sit around me. I promise I'll keep my mouth shut. You know, that's kind of thing. But here's what I did. I looked this up, and this is good for parents to hear, especially if your parents are into sports. Um, I looked up some stats, and as I'm reading this, I'm I'm feeling more and more and more guilt, okay? Less than 2% of high school athletes will go on and play D1 college athletics, which is the highest level. Okay, Less than 2% of high school athletes in the country will go on and play Division I college athletics. Only 1.2% of D1 athletes go pro. And most of us in this room are going, yeah, but my kid's in that 1.2%, right? I'm thinking that, like Jack's like, my dream is to play basketball at the University of Kentucky. I'm like, and you will. And you will, right? I believe it. You will. But you think about it. Like, I had, I had to, I'm a visual human being, so I had to make this make sense to me. So it's like if you got a pizza and you cut one slice of that pizza into a hundred different pieces, right? And then you took that, that, that one slice of a hundred and you sliced that one into a hundred more pieces. Just a part of one of those pieces, that's how many people go on to play professional sports, right? It's, it's, it's insane. But yet, when our mission in life is our kids, we get wrapped up in this. Maybe the mission in your life is your work. Just think about how this influences our lives. In this mission, our relationships become things we can get something out of, not necessarily put something into. When our mission becomes our work, our relationships, the people in our lives, we kind of treat them like assets and liabilities, Right? We want to align ourselves with people that will help us advance, and we want to stay away from the liabilities that might hold us down. Our motivations get wrapped up in performance, meeting and exceeding the standards of excellence. So maybe the boss notices, maybe we get a promotion, and our ambition is what? To be successful, to succeed no matter the cost. And we can keep going. We can keep going, right? The mission of relationships and friendships, the mission of marriage, the mission of knowledge and understanding and being smarter, the mission, you know, there's tons of missions that we can wrap our lives around, but the truth is this. Whatever you set as the mission of your life will shape and influence your relationship, your motivations, and your ambitions. And here's the bottom line today, all right? This is really what we're after. We allow anything other than the gospel to be the primary mission in our lives, right? We're choosing to allow something outside of the gospel to be the primary influence when it comes to our relationships, our motivations, and our ambitions. We're saying, I'm going to let something other, uh, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to be my Savior, but, but, I'm going to devote my life to something other than what you want. I'm going to devote myself to this. I'm going to allow this thing to guide and steer me and direct me, but I still want you, Jesus, in my life. So you might be going, all right, Brad, are you telling me right now that I need to pull my kid out of everything that we're doing, no more sports, no more band, no more drama, no more club, no more scouts, whatever. That's not what I'm saying. Please do not hear me say that, right? Don't hear me say, I'm not throwing stones and I'm not throwing a guilt trip on you. That's not what I'm saying at all. But here's what I would say. Getting your kids involved in sports and band and drama, all that kind of stuff, is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a great thing when the gospel is the primary mission in your life. Getting your kids involved in all kinds of activities, being a part of things that are going on in your city, in your town, Being on little league teams that are associated with neighborhoods, basketball teams that are associated with community, swim teams that are associated with communities, drama, that band, those things that are associated with, it's a great thing when the gospel is the primary mission in your life. Why? Because the gospel is going to work its way in to every single one of those teams and communities you may go, well, Brad, are you saying I need to quit my job? No, I'm not saying you got to quit your job. I'm not saying you need to walk away from your job. But here's what I'm saying. When the gospel is your primary mission in life, your job takes on a whole different purpose. It's not just about succeeding and getting a promotion. It's not just about your paycheck. It's not about climbing the corporate ladder. Here's what I'm saying, right? I'm saying this. Making the gospel the primary mission of our lives gives new purpose and new meaning to our relationships, motivations, and ambitions. It gives a whole new purpose to these things. One quote I read this week said this, the foundation of a missional life is the decision to offer God our plans in exchange for his. It requires that we are, leave, we are willing to leave our world so that he can send us to extend his kingdom. That was a quote by a guy named Hugh Halter that wrote a book called Tangible Kingdom. I would recommend it highly. It's a great book. You should read it. But what does all this mean? What does it mean for us to do this? To, to, to give God, to offer God our plans in exchange for his plans, right? Right? to leave our plans behind so that he can send us into the world to extend his kingdom. What does this mean? What does this look like? How can we make the gospel, the mission of our lives? What do relationships look like? What do relationships look like in a missional life? What do motivations look like in a gospel mission-driven life? What do ambitions look like in a gospel mission-driven life? Grab your Bibles. If you've got them with you, open up to Romans 15. Right, we're going to be in the last half of Romans 15 today. If you need a Bible, we've got Bibles in the back. They're free. You can take one home. If you don't own one, we'd love for you to have one. So open your Bible or your Bible app up to Romans 15. And we'll also have it up here on the screen, right? So here's what it says. Romans 15, starting in verse 14, it says this. Paul says, I myself am convinced my brothers and sisters that you yourselves are full of goodness, You're filled with knowledge and you're competent to instruct one another. Yet, he says, I've written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Gentiles are us. Gentiles are anyone who wasn't Jewish, right, just so you're getting some Bible terminology. He says, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to him, sanctified, changed, renovated, restored, renewed by the Holy Spirit. He says, therefore, I glory, if I'm going to be proud of anything in my life, if I'm going to lean back on any accomplishment, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Holy Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I've proclaimed the gospel of Christ it was always my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I wouldn't be building on somebody else's foundation. I'm not just going places where it's easy. I'm not just going places where the ground's already tilled up. I'm not just going places where there, there are already a lot of followers. I'm going places where it's going to be difficult. It says, rather, as it's written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. That's a big chunk of scripture that we're going to unpack today, and we're going to go through this kind of piece by piece, but... Here's what you need to know is, is there, there, there are a few times, three in fact, main sections in Romans where Paul, who's the writer of this letter, who was a missionary, a pastor, a, a church planner, a businessman. This was a guy who was kind of a, a jack of all trades, right? There, there are three different main times where Paul shifts out of like preacher teacher mode and instead he kind of opens up the door of his heart. And Paul kind of gets into his feelings a little bit, right? And he invites us to, to see what's really going on in his heart. And here's the cool thing about this. Each time he does it, each time Paul is shifted into this gear of opening up to us, not only do we get a chance to see how he thinks and how he feels, but seeing how he lives his life, just a normal guy. I mean, talk about a guy. Like, you're like, well, Bible people, they're, they're special. Bible people, we can never do what they do. This was a guy that before he met Jesus was the, the primary persecutor of Christians, and this was the dude that was leading the cause, carrying the flag, waving the banner for let's stomp out the church and make sure nobody talks about Jesus. I mean, he was killing people, imprisoning people, overseeing people's execution. I mean, so you go like, oh, I don't know if I could ever be a guy like Paul. I'm telling you, you're, you're probably starting about 10 steps ahead of where he was. If you've never overseen or personally written out an execution order for someone, you're in pretty good shape, right? But he lets us see what's going on in his life. And when we see what's going on in his life, we get challenged to kind of reevaluate ourselves. Like in chapter 1, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, even though saying that could get him killed in certain places. He lets us into his heart to see what's going on in his heart. He talks about how he longs to come to this this group of believers in Rome that's just like you and I trying to figure life out. And he says, listen, I'm coming to you. I want to get to you. And let me just tell you this. I'm not ashamed to proclaim the gospel. Not a gospel, the gospel. We see into his heart. In chapter 9, 10, and 11, we talked about this for about a month, right? We saw Paul's heart for people that are lost. And we had to evaluate ourselves. We had to ask ourselves the question, what's my level of care and concern? Am I concerned to do I care at all about the fact that there may be people in my life that are going through life without Jesus? And so Paul does it a third time, right? Again, at the end of this letter, right before he kind of goes into the ending piece of this, there's only one more chapter left. Right at the end of this letter, Paul's going to open up his heart one more time and let us look into his life. And as a result, what we can see is what life looks like when we make the gospel our primary mission. We see in Paul's life how that shapes and influences his relationships, his motivations, and his ambitions. And we now have someone just like us to go, well, if he can do it, I can do it. So here's what he says, right? The first thing we see is this. When we make the gospel the primary mission in our lives, our relationships both give and receive, He says in verse 14, I myself, he said, i convinced by brothers and sisters that you yourselves are full of goodness, that you are filled with knowledge and you are competent to instruct one another. See, when the gospel is the primary mission in our lives, when it comes to our relationships, we all give something to one another and we all get something from one another. We have the ability, like Paul says, to, to, to correct and encourage, to instruct one another. Like Paul says, he says, you're full of goodness, you're filled with knowledge, And because of that, you can instruct. You can look into each other's lives and you can offer advice. You can offer wisdom. You can offer counsel. But at the same time too, you're also free to receive from one another. One commentary this week, I read this. It said the believers in Rome were able to encourage, teach, and correct each other because of their love for one another and because of their mission being rooted in the gospel. And I love this, the second part. It says this, the health of the church depends on these two things. We must be rooted in truth, we have to be rooted in the truth of the gospel, and we have to have the ability for men and women in the church to minister to one another. When we only seek to give, when we only seek to give and not receive, it's noble, right? It's noble to say, I have so much to offer, I wanna give, I wanna give, I have so much to offer people. It's noble, but let me tell you, when all you seek to give and not receive, it's unhealthy. It's unhealthy. And it's a good sign, right, if, if, if your kind of mindset when it comes to giving and receiving in Christian community, if your mindset is all I have is I, I just have so much to give. I want to give, I want to give, I want to give. I want to bless all these people. It's a good sign here that, that, that your mission isn't so much about the gospel as it is about yourself. I'm here to bless everyone with all that I have. I've been blessed so much that now I want to bless other people. I'm free, I, I freely give to all of you all of the gifts that God has given me. Aren't you so lucky? Tim Chaddock says it like this, getting stuck in a pattern of giving and not receiving reveals that you long for and need the praises of people too much. It feels good to play the hero. There's a part of our lives, there's a part of us that loves the idea of being the person that's the source of joy, that's the source of life, that's the source of knowledge in the lives of other people. There's a piece of us that that loves to be in the place where everybody comes to us. But let me just tell you this, You cannot pour out something that's empty. If there's nothing left to pour out, then there's nothing left. And if all you do is seek to give, you're playing a dangerous game where you begin to operate out of your own strength and not out of the strength that the Spirit is giving you. When we only seek to receive, the other end of this, when we only seek to receive and not give, it's also unhealthy. And it's a good sign, again, that your primary mission is not the gospel, it's you. See, on one end, you turn into a consumer when all I want is to receive. I'm just showing up. You better have something for me today. Better be good music. I hope they better play good songs. They better not mess up, right? I hope hope he's got something good to say. I hope whoever's preaching has something good to say. They better be good today, better apply to my life. I just need something. I need to consume. I'm just here to get something out of this. And our question, the thing that we ask is, what do you have for me today? And on the other end, see, so on you know, one end, we're a consumer. On the other end, it's still all about you. You're selfish. It's all about you. But it sounds more like this. It's selfishness kind of disguised and covered up and kind of self-depreciation. It sounds like this. Well, the only reason that I, the only reason that I receive is because I don't think I have anything to give. Why, why would anybody want to hear from me? Why would anybody seek me out? What could I possibly have to offer? Let me just tell you this, church. Every single person that's chosen to trust Jesus with their lives has something to offer other people. And here's why. Because you have the Holy Spirit working in you and working through your life. When the gospel is the mission of our lives We all work together to help each other navigate life. And help, I'll just be honest with you, help can come from some of the most unexpected places and from some of the most unexpected people. One of the most incredible things about living a missional life, a life that is wrapped up in the gospel, in our relationships, is this. The things that would normally disqualify you become the things that now qualify you to help somebody through a season in life. You may have gone through a season where your finances blew up You may have gone through a season where your marriage fell apart. You may have gone through a season of addiction. You may have gone through a season of depression. You may be in the middle of a season of depression or anxiety. You may have gone through abuse, whatever it may be. Those things that typically you would think, well, that disqualifies me in the eyes of the world. It qualifies you in the eyes of your Savior. Because only you could look at somebody else and go, hey, I get it. I know what you're going through. Can I offer you some wisdom? Can we talk about this? Can I share about the time in my life when I went through something similar? Everyone in this place that has chosen to trust Jesus, you have something to offer, no matter what's in your story. Jesus qualifies your story. Jesus qualifies you. Jesus rearranges your story. Your story, which used to bury you in shame, is now a reason, it's now a way for you to share your life with somebody else because the Holy Spirit can flip that upside down. No one is too broken. No one is too far gone. Church, we need to be giving to one another. We need to be sharing our lives with one another. We also need to be ready and able and willing to receive from one another in our relationships, which means some of us need to go, I need help. And when someone does that, when someone says, I need help, the rest of us should say, what do you need? We should jump that person's phone should blow up. Their driveway should be full of cars. How can we help you? What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? See, when the gospel is the primary mission of our lives, it qualifies and it allows and it makes room for giving and receiving advice, wisdom, counsel, and perspective to and from other people. We can offer that up. Hey, can I, can I, can I share a little bit of my story with you? Can I tell you about this time in my life when I went through something similar? And we get to listen, we get to experience it, we get to, we get to hear from it, we get to ask that person questions, and there's no judgment. So, Proverbs 1920 says this listen to advice and accept discipline, and in the end you'll be counted among the wise. This has to be a place. If we're gonna wrap our mission around the gospel, that's who we have to be. We have to be people who are willing to give and receive from one another, knowing that every single person in this place has something to offer. Every story counts. Every story matters. So that's our relationships. What about, what about our motivations, right? What keeps us going? What's gonna keep us moving? Verses 15 through 19, Paul says this, yet I've written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles. Here's the thing. Paul wasn't just writing letters to churches, to groups of believers to write. He's writing, right, because ministering to people is who Paul is, It's what he does. And the opportunity to stand in front of people, difficult people in difficult places, the opportunity to write them letters, to encourage them, to instruct them, to to connect them together, that was what kept him going. That's who he was. He says this, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he says, I glory what I'm proud of, what I lean back in. What my life is all about, I glory in Christ in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and what I've done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So from all of Jerusalem, from all the way from Jerusalem, all the way around to Illyricum, this whole massive space, he says, I fully proclaim the gospel of Christ. That's what motivates me. Our motivations, church, here's what they do. They reveal what we're all about. Our motivations reveal what you're really all about. What motivates you or me. What motivates us, it's ultimately rooted to our purpose. The motivation that, that, that we have in life, it's the driving factor in our lives. And here's the thing: we all do lots of things. Everybody in this place, everybody here today, you all do lots of things. We all see people doing lots of things. I love to people watch. I don't know if anybody else likes to do that. I love to people watch. I think people are fascinating, right? I just think they're amazing. So this past week, I had to go to the Apple store um, because my phone became the victim of Kentucky losing to a 15 seed, um, aiming for the couch, hit the bench, right? So didn't hit something soft, hit something hard. So I had to go replace my phone. Um, and so I'm sitting in this, I'm sitting in the Apple store just people watching, and it's fascinating. It's fascinating to watch people. And you watch people come in of all different, like, I mean, all different backgrounds, all different, like, all different things going on. I mean, you have people coming in in suits going, hey, I've got to get this fixed right away. I've got an important phone call. It's happening. It's like, and the geniuses are like, okay, okay, okay. And then you have people, you know, you have people that are like, hey, I'm just here to look. I'm just here to shop for things that I'll never, ever, ever, ever be able to afford, right? Um, people watching is fascinating. People do lots of things. We do lots of things. But have you ever stopped to ask yourself, why? Why do you do what you do? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Here's what we get from Paul. Paul saw everything that he did as an act of worship. That's why he, proclaims, he's, he describes proclaiming the gospel as a priestly duty. See, the job of a priest back in this time and back in the Old Testament was to help facilitate bringing praise and glory and honor to God. That's what a priest's job was. The difference for Paul was that his priestly duty wasn't connected to or just limited to a church service. It was his whole life. His whole life was a priestly duty. He says, my life is lived to bring praise, honor, and glory to God. And so I'm gonna ask you two really tough questions. So if you're gonna take notes or you're taking a picture, the way we take notes here at Adventure a lot of times is we just take a picture of the screen. So I'm gonna put two really loaded questions up here, right? Here they are. Number one, What would change in your life right now, right now, what would change in your life right now if in your heart and in your mind you saw everything you did as an act of worship? What would change? What would change? What would change if everything in your life was a priestly duty? Second question. It's coming, there it is. What keeps you from making that your motivation? Think about that this week. Talk about that in the car. Talk about that at lunch. Chat with your family about that. Chat with a friend about that. Chat in your small groups about these questions. What what would change in your life right now? Not a month from now, not a year from now. What would change in your life right now if you saw everything you did as an act of worship and what is keeping you? from making that your motivation. In John 15, Jesus says this. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, they're thrown into the fire, and they're burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Church, I'm gonna be real with you. There have been times in my life where I've worked and I've worked and I've worked and I've worked and and in the end, there's almost nothing to show for it. In ministry, working for a church, professional Christian, get paid to talk about Jesus. I've worked and I've worked and I've worked and there's nothing to talk. There's nothing to show for it. Why? Because my motivations were in something other than the gospel. And let's just be real. Real. Usually when our motivations are on something other than the gospel, and usually our motivations in general, they're not centered on the gospel, they're centered on ourselves, me too. The truth is, here's the truth, okay, based on what Jesus says, and based on what Paul tells us, nothing of eternal value can come out of your lives without Jesus. That means without Jesus, anything you do, while it may have value and worth in the world, it has no eternal value without Jesus, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. What if we understood everything in our lives to be an act of worship? What if our life's work was for our lives to be an act of worship? What if we understood that the only thing in our lives that has value in our lives and the only thing that has value that comes from our lives are the things that the Holy Spirit accomplishes through us? What if we really believed And what Paul is teaching and what Jesus said, that apart from him, we can do nothing. What if our motivation was that our lives and everything we do bring praise, glory, and honor to God? N.T. Wright says it like this, when we make the gospel our mission in life, the driving factor in our lives is simply making much of Jesus in all that we do. What if that is what drove your life? Today, all I hope to do is make much of Jesus all I wanna do. Yeah, I'm gonna send some emails. Yeah, I got some phone calls. Yeah, I got some meetings. Yeah, I gotta pick kids up from carpool. But in everything, I wanna make much of Jesus. I wanna make much of Jesus in the way I pick my kids up from school. I wanna make much of Jesus in the way I lead a meeting. I wanna make much of Jesus in the way I send an email. I wanna make much of Jesus in the way I send in my reports or whatever it is that I do, the way I turn in my assignments. I wanna make much of Jesus in everything that I do. What if we could do this? I think things would look different. So let's land with this last part. What about our ambition, right? Ambition is your aim. If your motivation is what keeps you going, ambition is your aim, it's the end goal, right? If motivation is the driving factor in our lives, ambition is the main passion in our lives. It's what we desire the most. Your ambition is what you desire the most. This is what you want the most in your life. Paul says this in verse 19. He says, it's always been my ambition, the thing that I want the most, the thing I desire the most, the thing that I'm the most passionate about. It's always been my greatest passion to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. So that I would not be building on somebody else's foundation. I'm not just, till, I'm not just going places where it's easy. I'm not going places where it's simple. I'm not going places. I'm going places where my, my passion is to go into difficult places where difficult people are And preach the gospel. And then he says this he says, rather as it's written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard about him will understand. Church, when we make the gospel our mission in life, our ambition, the main passion, the main desire, the thing that we want the most is this it's to see more and more and more people put their trust in Jesus. That's my hope. I'm not there yet. I'm still growing in this, and I'm sure you are as well. My hope for us as a church is that this is is why we do what we do. This is why we exist. We talk all the time about come and become. Come as you are, become all that God desires you to be. Here's the thing. Church, Adventure Christian Church does not exist to provide religious goods and services. That is not what we do. We don't exist to perform on stage. Here's why we exist. We exist to help people meet Jesus. That's it. That's the only reason we exist. We say it all the time in here. Our job is to get people and Jesus in the same room. That's why we exist. You want to know why we exist as a church? To help people meet Jesus. That's it. Very simple. My hope and my prayer for adventure is that this is a place where every church partner can see themselves as a pastor. You begin to grow in the way that God sees you, but you begin to grow in the way that God empowers you. You grow in the way that God equips you. You grow in the way that God sends you. That every person, every partner in this church, you're a pastor, you're not just an attender, you're not a member of a religious country club, you're a ministry partner and you are a pastor. You're a pastor to your coworkers, you're a pastor to your classmates, you're a pastor to your neighbors, your families, your friends. You're empowered and you're equipped by the Holy Spirit to make disciples who can make disciples who can make disciples. And if that weren't enough, in Matthew 28, Jesus says to you, my promise is I will be with you the whole of every moment. You do not go out alone. You do not do mission by yourself. The one who right before he says, I'll be with you always, says all all authority has been given to me on heaven. The one who is in charge of everything says, I'm with you. Make disciples, make disciples, make disciples. I go with you. My hope and my prayer for adventure is that we... We don't just grow in membership, we grow missionaries. People that recognize we take mission personally. And this week I read, I went back through some of my some of the stuff I used to read for school. And I read a quote from William Carey. William Carey is the the father of kind of modern mission. And this is what he says: he says, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of failing. I'm not afraid of rejection. I'm not afraid someone to look at me and go, I don't, I don't want to talk about Jesus. I'm not afraid of that. Here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. I'm afraid of about my relations, relationships being about things that don't matter. I'm afraid about my motivations being attached to things that at the end of the day don't matter. I'm afraid, I'm afraid that my ambitions are attached to things that won't matter and I'll succeed in things and I'll do things and I'll get a lot of things and maybe I'll get a lot of recognition or I'll get a lot of attention, but at the end of the day, it won't matter. There's a way for us to make sure this doesn't happen. And it is to center your life on the gospel. The gospel of Jesus, that through faith we are saved. When that becomes our mission, when that becomes our mission, we succeed at things that matter. We become a church that matters. We become a neighbor that matters. We become people that matter. That's who we are. So I'm going to pray for us, but I want you to think about this this week. This is more, a little bit more of a thinker, right? Paul lets us into his heart. We get to see what's going on in there, and what we have to do is we have to kind of compare. Right, in light of what Paul says, in light of what he shared about us, sorry, i got to look at my own life. i gotta open up the, I got to open up my own chest. What's in here? What's in here as it relates to my relationships. Am I a giver? Am I just a taker? Can I be both? When it comes to my motivations, am I, can I get to a place where in my life, can I move to a place in my life where everything that I do, everything that I do seeks to make much of Jesus, everything I do is an act of worship. Can I, can I get to that space? What's it gonna take to get there? What's holding me back? Can I make my ambition the most important thing in my life, the thing that I want the most, can I make that ambition to see people say yes to Jesus? Doing that, church. It may not matter to the world, but it advances the kingdom. The kingdom that came, the kingdom that is coming, the kingdom that is here at work within us. That's what that does, and it matters. So I'm going to pray for us this morning. If you want to talk about Jesus, what it means to say yes to Jesus, I would love to meet you down front. If you, want, if you need prayer this morning, um, our elders will be around the room. And I think some of their wives will be around the room as well. Ladies, if you need to pray with another, with another lady, that's fine. That, that's great. I understand some of that may feel comfortable at times. It's great. that's fine. We have people that would love to do that with you. If you need prayer this morning, we would love to pray with you and for you. We'll be around the room. If, if, if today you want to talk about what it means to join this church, to be a part of, to be a ministry partner at Adventure. We don't do membership. We do partnership. What it means to be trained in the ways of being a pastor and a disciple maker, that's what we want to do. We want to do that for you. We'd love for you to connect with us here at Adventure. We'd love to walk with you. I'm going to pray, and then we'll worship, and you'll have some time to, to make some decisions or come for prayer if you need it. Jesus. You are the author creator. You are, you are power above everything. You, you have all the authority on heaven and on earth and below the earth, as you say, everything. All that authority has been given to you. And, and with that authority, what do you do? You commission and you send us to go out. So God, today, may we evaluate our lives in light of your son. May we evaluate our lives in light of a, a guy just like us named Paul who had junk and mess in his life who had struggles and trials and tension in his life, who wrestled with stuff in his life just like we do. Lord, give us that spirit. We ask for that spirit. We ask for a spirit that will allow us to center our lives on your gospel, that that our relationships would be rooted in your gospel, that our motivations would be rooted in your gospel, that our ambitions, the things that we want the most would be rooted in your gospel and seeing people say yes to your son. Jesus, we love you and we pray all this in your name. Amen you stand and sing with us.